Welcome back to the Circular Economy Show podcast. Every week we're talking to practitioners and experts on the circular economy. My name is Seb, I'm your host, and today I have a different co-host, not Lara, it's Maya, another member of our crack hosting team. Welcome, Maya. Yeah, thanks, Seb. I'm really happy to be here. And in this episode, we're talking to Bill McRaith. Um, And Bill is the now former chief supply chain officer of PVH. But at the time of this conversation, which was recorded for the Foundation Summit in June 2020-21, he was still in that role. And uh, PVH, for those of you who don't know, are a huge clothing conglomerate that owns and manages brands such as Tommy Hilfiger, Calvin Klein... And in this episode, he's speaking to Juliet Lennon, right, Ma? Yeah, Juliet is a part of our team in the foundation. And I think they have a really interesting conversation on designing supply chains for the future and really changing mindsets on how people view a supply chain. So thinking, um, I guess, moving the thinking from having a linear idea of a supply chain and moving towards a lattice, which I think is really an interesting concept. And uh, I think they go on. Uh, Bill really emphasizes the the use and the need for a circular economy within these different supply chains. Lattice is one of those words that kind of makes my mind twist around, which I guess is kind of the idea that Bill's um, trying to propel us to think about. And the other thing in this conversation from Bill, I think, is he really talks about the, he gives you a sense that there's kind of just momentum and inevitability that actually the su- supply chains are having to react and change from certainly from a kind of circular economy perspective, but also just from a, this is better for our business and better for our customers perspective. A hundred percent. And you know, it's it can be seen through different shocks in the system, you know, for, from what we've seen with what happened with COVID and what is anticipated to happen with climate change, like supply chains need to be reinforced in the systems which they're embedded in, I think. Right. So let's jump into this conversation. Let's go. PVH is one of the largest clothing companies in the world. You've set ambitious goals on climate and also the circular economy. How do these goals underpin and support the way you think about designing a supply chain for the future? Yeah, so it's a great question. In fact, it's a huge question. I know we've got limited time here to respond to something like that. So I'll try and condense it. Look, I I think I would say that you know, whatever people are committing to, um, not just PVH, but quite frankly, any business that's committing to out there in terms of goals. And what you'll often see is that goals to achieve uh, those deliverables are typically set maybe five years out, seven years out, 10 years out. So you hear things like 2025, 2030 that are set as the delivery targets. What you have to understand is that from a supply chain side is that that means that we have to be doing that right now, right? Not tomorrow, not in two years, not in five years, but we actually have to be building those supply chains to look as they will need to look like in five or 10 years uh, today so that that uh, goal is deliverable. And so, you know, you just step back and think about some of those targets, zero waste, fully circular um, uh, targets that are out there. So what does that mean to a supply chain? And as we build those supply chains, whether it be in new new countries that are what we'd refer to as offshore countries from the main retail environments, or whether we start to build things closer in, 
those now have to be built as we want them to look like in five years from now. So they have to be inclusive of all the components that are required to meet those targets today. So no longer do you have two separate thoughts of, I need to go build new supply chains to deliver on the business's growth goals, it's, it's, it's product deliverables. But completely weaved into that is the same thought of, and those have to deliver on all of the CR sustainability objectives that, that we have. I think what's different today is you have those thoughts is there was a point in the past where there was almost a conflict between those two thoughts. There was build what I need to deliver the businesses needs. And yes, I've got to also be conscious of the fact, build things that are sustainable. I think what's very different today is those things are exactly the same thing, that delivering on the goals that are in our future um, are totally supported by being sustainable, uh, uh, building in your corporate responsibility needs into those those thoughts. So it's very different from what it used to be. I think we we started on that journey when we built the uh, large facility in Hawassa in Ethiopia. That was a place where, same thing, about seven years ago, we reflected, um, effectively reflected on 26 years of ignorance is the only way I could describe it. I don't think anyone in supply chains today woke up at some point in the past and said, I'm going to build bad supply chains that are going to damage the environment, damage the world. No one had that thought. It was really of pure ignorance. Um, and, and we started that work down in Hawassa of thinking about what had we done wrong? And before we put a shovel in the ground, how do we make sure we thought of how we address that yeah. all into, into the future? So it's all woven in now. Yeah. Thinking about that interconnected side and with, you know, you're talking about the fact that the climate goals and the circular economy goals are now embedded into everything that you're doing. Can you paint us a picture of what would you expect your supply chain of the next five or 10 years to look like? Is, is it even a supply chain as we know it today? Yeah, so, uh, so I think one of the things that we all have a responsibility to do is throw away the word chain. Um, It's just such a flawed way now to think about the supply environment. Um, The the words that we've now started to use are supply lattice, which is really to say that it's no longer about what I'd call throwing out big orders six months and and even the, the fastest companies maybe down to weeks or months putting big orders out there, keeping your fingers crossed that you actually figured out what the consumer wanted and then waiting for all that stuff to trundle inbound and then realize that as you put it onto the the retail environment, that what you've effectively done is you've underbought all the stuff the consumer really wants and that will turn into waste uh, somewhere in the environment. I mean, you lose sales or you will have overbought the stuff that the customer didn't want. And then you're trying to figure out how to liquidate that through uh, markdowns or or, uh, discounting of some type that just quite frankly adds to the excess that's in the industry. I mean, it's one of the things these supply chains today, the word chain has done is it's created an excess environment. And I think what you need to move to now is we will move to what we think of as these supply lattices, Mm. where it's a combination of offshore 
what I'll call lower cost, uh, longer supply chains, then complemented by nearshore, higher cost, but much more able to react in the moment, complemented yet again by these onshore models that will be able to, re- able to respond to the consumer in the moment and, and get us to a point where we actually only make what the consumer really wants, eliminate the excess, eliminate the lost sales, drive profitability, drive down environmental impact. But chain is just a bad word now. It's really about building those lattices of the future. And what you're describing is is a radical shift, right? You want to fundamentally rethink, I mean, not just 10 years, but decades of, of supply chain work there. And I guess you started to touch on some of the, the benefits of that, thinking about, you know, eliminating waste from the very beginning and some other things. And as you think about this fundamental rethink, are there some really main drivers of that? And will though, what are they today? And do you expect those to change over the next five years as well? Well, it's, so I think it's interesting because you talk about over the next five years and, and obviously as we conduct this interview, we're in the middle of a pandemic. It's still going on, albeit the what I'll call the uh, retail markets are merging from that pandemic. We still have a lot of manufacturing environments that are deep in the middle of that pandemic. And it is a terrible thing what it has done to people's lives, uh, to the economy, just just to the the globe. It's a terrible thing. However, if you just for a moment step back and try to find some type of silver lining that exists within that pandemic, I think it's a time machine. I think one of the things that it has done is, you know, it may have taken us five, 10 years to get to a place where we had rationalized in our head just how fragile and fragmented the current supply chains were that we had and that we had effectively learned to live with that. The pandemic slapped us in the face and said, wake up to what is in front of you, that you need to radically change what is happening. And I think the pandemic has moved us in the space of months, a year, five years into the future. I I think the consumer Behavior has dramatically changed um, out there. They are far more online. I think that uh, environmental awareness has increased significantly over this, this period that's out there. We've become aware of just how much business we lose by not having the right inventory, not total inventory, but the right inventory in place um, out there. And just the excess that's created by all this, this stuff that's out there. So I don't think it's a case of... We, we wouldn't have got there. I don't think the pandemic has shown us anything. We're not in a world that's any different to where we would have been. We've just gotten there five years earlier than we would otherwise have gotten to. Um, and, and I think every company, and I think PVH is doing amazing work, I, I think, um, and on the environmental front, on multiple fronts, I think PVH is doing amazing work. But honestly, I think a lot of companies are doing amazing work. I, I think there's a lot of people out there who are really trying to do good right now. Mm-hmm. I think the big challenge is, is that, and, and here's my best description that I can give give on this is, I think that climate change and environmental damage is sitting in a Ferrari 
powered by 26, 30 years of doing it wrong. And it is just rocketing away ahead of us. And I think there are great companies like PVH and others who are on all forms of bicycles um, that are trying to catch that Ferrari that's run away. And I think where everyone is trying their hardest and pedaling as fast as they, they can, my worry is, is that it's just hard for individual companies to run that down. And, and I, you know, my term is that individually, we as companies are all doing good. I think collectively, if we really started to think about how we work together in a pre-competitive environment, but work together on these big challenges, we can go from doing good to doing great but it will take that type of awakening for everybody to lean in and say that there is, we can still do well as individual companies and we can do great against the environment if we really start to club together and attack this. You've actually already answered then one of the questions I was going to ask, ask you because, you know, we're talking about tackling some massive, massive challenges here. And really the question is, you know, you're a massive organisation, PVH, one of the largest clothing companies in the world. And can you do it alone? And clearly what you're saying is, is no, collaboration is, is essential to that. Um, thinking about the transformation that you're describing, and you're talking about doing things very differently, you're changing terminology, helping change the way you think about it. We're talking about a supply lattice now. And effectively, this is going to require you as an organisation to step forward as a pioneer to to try new things, to already start taking action today so that in five, 10 years, we start to see this. So what does that look like? What conversations are you having in your organization? What are you starting to, to try to test? So I think, again, I think one of the beauties of PVH actually is a part of the structure that they, they have. We operate across three primary regions of the world, the Americas, um, Europe, and Asia. And we have, you know, we have very effective teams in each of those places, um, each of whom will push agendas, CR climate change agendas. And so we have the opportunity as a business to try out multiple things, see which of those emerge. Um, you've heard of Tommy for Life, which is really driven out of Europe, uh, what I would call a bold um you know, a, a division that we have that I think is prepared to step up, take bold challenges on. And even if they fail, they fail forward, right? And, and, I, and I do think the world has got to congratulate and applaud companies that are far more bold. And even if they fail, congratulate them for failing forward on these things, as opposed to critiquing companies. So we can try multiple things, you know, taking back product from consumers, refurbishing that, that, um, those products. That's all part of the Tommy for Life, making sure that everything that we put in to new product as, as best we can is sustainable and piloting and learning and figuring out where the points of failure are in those journeys. And so we have multiple fronts um, that we're learning from all across all the divisions that we have out there and then picking the best of those and then sharing the best of those, trying to avoid terms like best practices, which is something that as a business we've said, let's not 
Let's not talk about best practices because there's an arrogance to that, that, that it may be your best practice, it may not be mine. So we use terms like best practices. How do we share, uh, sorry, good practices? How do we share good practices within our organization so that other parts of it can embrace it? And then at a corporate level, really align on the big ones and kind of drive those forward. So I would say there's probably not a front that we aren't tackling um, out there. It's now a case of how do you take it to scale? How do you start to go from recycling in the thousands to developing mass regeneration zones that can uh, recycle as many old products as there are new products out there? How do we change companies' just mindsets on the whole way that they move goods? I, I think one of the things that we recognize is you know, where we talk about speed and how critical speed is, one of the things we now think is you cannot air goods and claim to be a sustainable company. Now, that's not to say people won't do it, and, and that would include us as well, but there's got to be a mindset of that has got to be driven to an absolute minimum, and it helps you rethink and reset everything that you do. So again, I applaud all the pilots. I think they're amazing. I think they're great. I think it's it's everyone is doing fantastic work we just got to scale we, we have to take the stuff to scale and we cannot be timid about taking it to scale yeah and I mean it's incredible to hear about the vast amount of you know work that you're doing how much you're trialing stuff clearly you know you're really taking steps on this journey and I guess a question that comes to mind for me is Based on that experience, what is the one piece of advice you would give to an organization who's maybe at the beginning of this journey, they're looking at needing to take action that matches the scale of the problem? Um, what would you say to them? Yeah, I would. The only thing I could say is give everyone the permission to fail. I honestly believe that a lot of companies aren't bolder in these actions because there is always a fear of failure, whether that is internal or whether that is from external groups. And I would critique a lot of external groups for you know, holding companies to targets and then potentially ridiculing them when they don't hit those targets. I would applaud every company that's bold. I would applaud every company that sets a big target that works hard to deliver on it. And if they fail against it, I would applaud them even more for that because they have moved the agenda forward. And we need to have people that move the agenda forward. So be bold, set big targets and, and try to achieve those targets, right? Stretch for those targets and, and give everyone the permission to do that. And without fear. And it's interesting when you talk about that as well, because one of the things you've spoken about is, is this mindset shift. So it's clear from how you're talking about this, that we're going from supply chains to supply lattice, supply ecosystems, supply network, very interconnected. How do you channel that thinking within an organization? How do you inspire people to think differently and then take those risks and then potentially fail, but move the needle forwards? So I think the first thing you've got to do is that these efforts are not about just supply chain. And I think we all know that, right? And, and I, I believe that design is doing a fantastic job of 
thinking about how they design into product the ability to recycle, that it lives longer, it lasts longer. So I think there is just great and amazing work that's going on there. But I think what you've got to do is you've got to bring it to your whole organization. You've got to make everyone in the organization know that they all have a component of environmental sustainability built into what those do. I One example I would give today is planning and just do all of the planning teams within organizations understand that they are a primary component to addressing sustainability. Are they thinking about the lattice? Are they thinking about how to minimize waste in the system? Do we in fact have the tools um, within organizations and just the tools available to the industry to dynamically plan only to have exactly what it is that the consumer wants and no more than that, no less than that. So drive profitability, drive down sustainability. So it's about just thinking through all the layers within an organization to understand and and communicate and and. I guess, be an evangelist of this to people, that you have the ability to do your job, but to make change in the environment. And none of it is a negative to the organization. None of it. It's all a positive to the organization on every front. Mm. And you started to mention tools there. I think it's one of the things that I'd love to dive into a bit more as well. How, like, When you start to think about this in the future, Tools, technology, data, are they crucial enablers of this transition? Yeah, without without any doubt. I think that organizations have now hit a scale where I think about real-time dynamic motion of the supply lattice, really deciding where do I make a product? Offshore, nearshore, onshore, the cost differential between those. Again, just to give an example, I think for the last, if you think about the last 30 years, organizations have typically been trained to ask, oh, what is the cost of an item? What is the cost of this shirt, right? And therefore, this shirt has a specific cost. I think in a future world, there is no single cost. There's a cost if I make it nearshore, onshore, and offshore. So I think there's three costs to it, and all of them come with different attributes. Long lead times for offshore, the ability to react instantly onshore, and you need a dynamic planning tool that assesses all of those adjustments to move away from a thought of what would be called IMU, initial markup on an item, retrain the whole system, planning, merchants, buyers, etc. Now to think about program profitability. How do I maximize the profitability of a program by using all three levers, all three supply chain capabilities that I have? You're not going to do that on an Excel spreadsheet. I'm not even sure some of the most current advanced tools have that dynamic component to it. I think purchase orders, this concept of purchase orders that we have worked with for the last 30 and far more years before that are one of the biggest obstacles to real-time dynamic supply chains or supply lattices and to manage those out there. I think of automation. We need to bring more automation to bear within within the supply chain. Um, Often we hear of things like MOQs, minimum order quantities, that often 
create the need for companies to make a little bit more than they actually need to hit these minimum order quantities. Well, what if you brought in um, automated automation, but highly agile automation that completely eliminated terms like that? So I only made exactly what I wanted. But things like, you know, artificial intelligence, neural networks that are really starting to run and manage the system where people's skill sets are much more focused on the future. So they're less managing the day-to-day running of the business. Let that run on a more automated basis and people that are more focused on to strategically improve and improve and improve the processes for the future. And I think that's where you see a big shift in skill sets within large retail organizations. You'll always need people focused on the day-to-day, but I think you need to shift more and more people to be focused into the future and address all these challenges. Every challenge has a solution. Every single one has a solution. But we sometimes ask the people that are managing the day-to-day to also work on the future solution. And you just can't do that. You've got to split those things apart and have people focused into the future, separated from the people managing the day-to-day. Because the day-to-day will always take priority over the future. So it's almost, again, it would go back to, it's a reset. We are in a 30-year reset of supply and retail environments that are out there. And now's the time to do it. And those companies that lean into all of this right now, they'll be the winners. I don't think there's any question about that. They will be the winners. Those that simply focus on replicating what they have, like they, they'll lose to the winners that are out there. Well, thank you. It's very, very exciting to hear about. And I think for me, there's one final question, and it's a big question, but let's see if we can answer it, um, I guess, in one or two sentences. But the circular economy In the scheme of all of this, in the context of everything we've discussed today, is it an opportunity? Is it a challenge? Is it both? So all opportunities are challenging. Um, I, I would say that. But doesn't that make it just all the more exciting to wake up in the morning and have a challenge in front of you? I would say, I think the question is, is the circular economy um, an opportunity? That's already been answered. That's behind us, right? We, we know that it's an opportunity. We see the growth. We see the circular economy growing faster now at, at a tagger than the, than the call it the standard economy that we've had for the last 30 years. That is behind us. What we've got to do is we've got to be able to incent people that, um, this is where I think governments have such an opportunity to step in and use carrots and sticks to really help companies move forward against this. But it's certainly a huge opportunity. Um, it will. It may be the winning opportunity for the next 10 years that's out there. Um, it's just the exciting thing to wake up and do every day is to go get it. Well, thank you so much. It's been so great to talk to you. What a great conversation, Seb. I think it was really interesting to hear more about what a lattice supply chain looks like and the need for it. And one thing that really stuck out to me, Seb, um, is the idea that we need to start planning for the future now. So looking um, five years ahead into the future right now. Yeah, and um, what I... I mean, this is very common in the circular economy space, actually. What I really take from that conversation and and as you described it, kind of Bill's 
visualization description of lattices is that in many ways, what we've spent the last 50 to 100 years optimizing this very long line global supply chain. And what he's saying is actually, firstly, it's not really like that today anymore. And secondly, that you can imagine a much more nuanced and distinctive supply chain of the future. And his, as you said, he's kind of saying, we have to imagine that, um, where some things are maybe grow, uh, grown, uh, certainly made very much locally. Um, and there are some things that perhaps it still makes sense to have different scales of suppliers. So that kind of nuanced, complex thinking to reimagine what comes into our heads um, when we think supply chain is one of the strongest things I think Bill offered and I guess still offers in the conversation. Well, Seb, that's all we have for today's episode. Um, yeah. Make sure that you sub, uh, subscribe. You haven't done this bit before, Maya. <laughs> Make sure you subscribe and share and like and do all those good things on whatever podcast channel, channel you're listening to this on because it helps other people find out about this podcast and in turn helps other people find out more about the circular economy. Hopefully that they can start to become part of the effort to make it happen. Exactly. So we'll all see you guys next week. <laughs> <laughs>